Whoops, I didn't know when that was going to end. I didn't want it to end. Did you? Did you? Hey, welcome to Church of the Red Door here just a few days before Christmas. If you've never been with us before, would you raise your hand? Wonderful, wonderful, beautiful, beautiful. Glad to have you here. I didn't see anybody, but if I did, I was just like, is there anybody here? We don't have a single guest. Come on now. Not one hand. Oh, okay, there we go. Welcome. We're, pl- we're pleased. There's another one. Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, uh, a couple things. My name's Jeff Cranford. I'm one of the pastors here at Church of the Red Door, and I'm here not only to introduce uh, our, our uh, Pastor Paul this morning and uh, whatever he's going to preach on, uh, but I wanted to tell you we are going to have a Christmas Eve service. Who knows what day Christmas Eve is? Tuesday, Tuesday. What time are we going to do it? Four o'clock, four o'clock. We did it, I think it, we did it last year at three o'clock, but we've pushed it back just a smidge. Uh, that'll be from four till 9.30. We'll be having four to 9.30 because I'm going to be preaching. No, I'm just going to. So we're going to four to five. You're going to have plenty of time. You're going to be able to get back to your turkey, your ham, whatever you're doing. So um, that's going to be uh, on Tuesday night, and we really would love to have you here. Look, let me just tell you something. This is a beautiful time. Tuesday night is a beautiful time to bring friends because it's kind of ceremonial. It's kind of, you know, most people, we have a lot of, you know, CEO Christians around here, Christmas and Easter only. And uh, so Christmas is a great time to bring somebody that maybe doesn't know Jesus. And so we're going to introduce them to his first advent and even talk about his second advent. So uh, with that in mind, uh, we're excited to have you here this morning. And uh, Pastor Paul, I asked Pastor Paul about a week and a half ago, I gave him a good week and a half. I said, look, I'd really like for you to preach on the 22nd. And uh, so I talked to Randy and, and Randy talked to Paul and and Paul's excited to preach. I know he's got a word for us this morning, so I'm going to open us up in prayer and then uh, invite you to really pay attention to what the Spirit may have to say to you today. So I am too. I'm going to have the same spirit sensitivity as you are today. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for today. <clears throat> what an extraordinary thing we're celebrating this week. I mean, if it's true, I mean, it sounds crazy. It sounds crazy that God would take on human flesh and come live among people. Uh, that is a crazy thought, but Lord, if it's true, and we here at Church of the Red Door believe with all of our all of our minds, and both intellectually and experientially and just emotionally, that that's exactly what happened some 2,000 years ago. Lord, that's what we're celebrating now. Whenever it happened, we don't know exactly what the day or the time was, but whenever that happened 2,000 years ago, we know that that meant something for us. It was significant for us, and so Lord, Help us understand it in a more deep and profound way than we ever have this morning. Father, I pray that you'd be with Pastor Paul as he brings this message. Lord, I know he's prayed over and thought through, and that you would empower him through your spirit and give us something that we can take away. Give us this day our daily bread and use Paul to do it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Would everybody just welcome Pastor Paul? Welcome, Pastor Paul. Morning, church. You know, yesterday we had a very special day. Matter of fact, you guys want to throw that up. We had uh, some baptisms yesterday. And uh, yesterday we baptized two of our family members. Uh, we had Sue Zimmerick we baptized and uh, Kathy Engelhart. Uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful time together. Beautiful time together. It was funny, as you're watching that right there, there was a helicopter flying over. And we found out they were chasing some criminal through through our housing development. Kathy's going, why is that helicopter going on? Passing around. But uh, 
you know, it's one of those honoring things that we get. I mean, it's one of those special days in the life of a Christian, the day you accept Christ and the day you stand before your friends and family and declare it to each and every one of them. What I wanted to share with you, I came across some letters that kids wrote to Santa Claus. And I thought you'd get a kick out of it. We had a little girl, her name's Julie. And she says, Dear Santa, how are you going to get into our house this year? We don't have a chimney, and my father just installed a very expensive security system. <laughs> and then uh, Sandy says, you know what? She goes, dear Santa, what, what should I leave for your reindeer to eat? Do they eat cookies too? My mom won't let me bring hay into the living room. <laughs> and then I love Nancy. She's figured out what she wants for Christmas. She goes, dear Santa, I would just like one of everything. <laughs> and then my favorite, it's from Jordan. He goes, dear Santa, could you come early this year? I've been really super good, but I don't know if I can last much longer. <laughs> so please hurry. So, so I'm going to give you guys a little Christmas trivia this morning. How many of you have read the Christmas story? Two? Oh, good. All right, I'm glad there's more. So let me ask you a little Christmas trivia. So what form of transportation did Mary and Joseph use to go to Bethlehem? I thought you would say that, but did you know the Bible doesn't say that? Doesn't say how they went. To, they don't say how they went. It's about an 80-mile trip, okay? I mean, obviously, we kind of figured they probably had some. They probably did use a donkey or something. They could have had two of them for all we know, but it's just an artistic depiction. No one really knows for sure, and it doesn't tell us. In the Bible story. Now, how about this one? What did the innkeeper say to Mary and Joseph? Yeah, well, guess what? There's no innkeeper mentioned in the Bible either. <laughs> it's like, as a matter of fact, it says this in Luke 2. There was no room for them in the inn. It's actually, actually a, a misleading translation because actually in, in the original Greek, kind of loosely, it actually means there was no space for them in a guest room or, or an upper room inside of a place that they were staying. They may have been intending to stay, I don't know, it could be a relative's house or a friend's place, but uh, there wasn't any room. Then the, it says, the baby Jesus was most likely born in a cave, in a tent, in a stable, or in a house. Well, a stable's never mentioned in Scripture either. The word manger is certainly mentioned, and so that's the indication we got from the Bible that, you know, Christ was probably, you know, born in some type of stable or, or, or cave or something. All right, I got another one for you. How are you feeling so far? What animals were present at Jesus' birth? Camels, okay. Sheep, okay, all right, well... Bible doesn't tell us that either, okay? But, what, but, but, but we kind of surmise, you know, if there wasn't any room and whether it was the best Western inn they were trying to get a room in or whether it was just someone's home, you know, people probably were traveling along the sides of the road. They probably did have animals and stuff they were traveling with. You know, I'm sure there were sheep and chicken and what people were saying. Now, when the wise men came, which is what I'm going to be talking about today. But when the wise men came, <laughs> not the wise guys. I was talking about the wise men, not the wise guys. Okay, so look at, so when the wise men, change that, okay? <laughs> so when the wise men <laughs> brought their gifts to Jesus, all right, remember the story. 
They found him where? In a stable? In the church? At a house? Or at the inn? Yes, you know, this is what it said. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Do you know it was approximately two years later than when the wise men showed up? So Jesus was now living in a home in Bethlehem. Now, how about final one? I won't torture you anymore. How many magi actually visited Christ at his birth? <laughs> you guys are getting smart. Now you say, I don't know. I don't know. There, I, mean, we, I mean, we guessed three. Only because of the frankincense, myrrh, and gold, right? But the reality is it doesn't say. The scripture doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us how many were actually there. I would imagine kings traveling didn't travel alone. You know, I would imagine they had an entourage with them as, as they traveled. But I brought all those up just to kind of, you know, it's so good sometimes when you go back and you read the scriptures and when you read the story and go back and read the Christmas story, it's funny how we... Just take what our thoughts are and implant them, figuring, well, this is, must be what happened. This is what I've heard my whole life growing up. And God put on my mind today the story of this message. When you're following what you believe is God's direction in your life, and then you get to the destination and it's, you, you find a stable. It's not what you've been expecting. What happens when you've been following it and it just leads you to that? What happens when all of a sudden, after thinking that something was going to be grand, that it was going to be wonderful, would something wonderful is going to be on the other end, and then all of a sudden you end up and you're in the backyard of a barn. You're in the backyard of some area in your life that, boy, this just didn't turn out like I thought. When you visualize a stable, what do you think, right? You think of animals, it's kind of smelly, kind of drafty. It's not exactly a place that you maybe want to curl up, think there's anything good that you would find there. You walk along and you're expecting this star, and instead of a palace and a king on a throne, you find a little baby held by its mother. It's nothing like you anticipated. How do you react? When you follow a star and you find a stable, how is your behavior affected with the outcome of what your expectations were? You know, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 2, and we're going to read some of the Christmas story together. We're going to start right in verse 1. Matthew 2, verse 1, and we're going to read through 12. So I'm going to start. It says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we come to worship him. Well, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Well, they said to him, in Bethlehem of, of Judea, for this is where it has been written by the prophets. And you, Bethlehem, you of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined for them the exact time the star appeared. 
And he sent them in Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then spending, then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now, it's, imagine now, you're, here you are, you're these magi, you're these kings, astrologers, you know, you're coming along. Can you imagine? This is just how I envision. Can you imagine the disappointment I think the magi must have felt when they finally wound up in Bethlehem? I'm sure they were expecting a mansion, at least a royal court. I mean, this is a king. I mean, they even stopped at King Herod's palace. I mean, think about that for a minute to find out about this kid and where he was born. Every one of us has had times in our life when we follow the star. Everything looked so promising. But we were to find out at the end we were somehow wound up in a stable. I mean, just go back to your high school graduation pictures. And look at some of those kids you graduated with. Some of them, right, started off with such promise. You know, you look back at the things they wrote in your yearbook, and you think back, boy, you were sure they were going to be a star one day. But now as you look at them, you can see that life has uh, been a disappointment. College kids graduate with their diploma, you know, tucked under their arm. They go through all the four years or six years or eight years, whatever they do, and they go out to win the world. But then they find out that job they wanted is not the one that they actually really got. Can I tell you that I have been to weddings of friends, and so promising was their future. Everybody thought their marriage had tremendous possibilities, only to find out a few years later it's lying in ruin in a divorce court. I don't know, maybe for some of you, it's your job. You've been expecting a promotion. Finally, the boss calls you into the office. Has it ever happened to any of you? You think, well, this is finally it. And you find out you've been passed over. Someone else got the position. You walk out of the office kind of in a daze, realizing that even though you've been following this star, how did I wind up in this stable? Maybe you're a mom and pop, you know, you're going to start a business. You know, all through their life together, they've been regularly just setting aside a little bit of money every week. And finally, the day comes, they go down to the bank, they leverage their money. They have such excitement as they open up the doors of their new business only to find out they're a heck of a lot more excited than their potential customers. They've been following a star. But one day they wake up and they find themselves... I'm in a stable. You know, I've seen many people come to the retirement age, and they can hardly wait to get away from the grind of work. All their life, they work so hard for that gold watch to get at the end. But you know what I found? That after just a few months, many of them, after retirement, it really isn't what they really thought it was going to be. Can I tell you, they start to get restless, unsettled. 
I've had people sit with me and go, they just go, what happened? What they thought was following that star, and when they got to the destination, this doesn't look like at all what I expected it to be. You guys remember the cartoon character Peanuts? Remember with Lucy? Remember how she used to set up that little stand and she'd give you advice for five cents? Remember how she would do that? Remember? And who was her first customer all the time? Yeah, Charlie Brown, right? And I, so I came across this, and I, you know, sometimes you can feel like Charlie Brown here. She's really frustrated with Charlie, and she says this, Charlie Brown, sometimes I feel we're just not communicating. You, Charlie Brown, are a foul ball in the line drive of life. You're often in the shadow of your goalpost. You're a miscue. You're three putts on the 18th green. You're a 7-10 split in the 10th frame. You're a dropped rod and reel in the lake of life. You're a missed free throw. You're a called third strike. You're a bug on the windshield of life. Do you understand? Do you understand what I'm saying to you, Charlie Brown? You can feel like that sometimes, can't you, in life? You know, The beautiful part of the Christmas story, the beautiful part of the story of the wise men is what they do when they arrive at the home of Joseph and Mary. Through their actions, and what I want to run, take you down this road this morning is, is that they teach us three things. Three things that I honestly believe that all wise people through all the ages have done when they come upon that stable, a place or situation that isn't exactly what they were expecting. And here's the first one. When wise people find a stable, they find themselves in a stable, they look for God. Wise people of every age, when handed a difficult situation, can I tell you, they, they don't panic about the problem. They hold steady. And they say, you know what they say? They say, God's, got, God's somewhere in this. God's somewhere in this stable of, of life that I'm in right now. There's, God, there's something here that I'm supposed to learn. I'm going to hold steady. I know he's in this thing somewhere. How about the story of Joseph? And I don't mean the story of Mary and Joseph, okay? I talk about Joseph. Remember well, everything he went through? He was sold into slavery. Remember? By his own brothers, Right? He was lied about when he was in slavery, when he was working in Potiphar's house. He was thrown into prison. Okay, he had one setback after another, after another. But finally, God raised him up to be second in command of Egypt. Under his leadership, not only did he save his own family, but tens of thousands of Egyptians and many others. Joseph revealed himself to his brothers when they came back. And do you guys remember what he said to his brothers? This is Genesis 50, 20. It's one of those ones you just want to memorize. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Can I tell you, Joseph had the ability to see God when he was in the stable. And how about Job? He found himself sitting on an ash heap. Here's a good man. He never did anything wrong. Yet here he is going through persecution, loss of family, friends, fortune. He's got friends standing around him just saying, why don't you just, uh, you know, just tell God to curse God and, and just die? 
But you know what, Job, I, I love what Job does. Instead, he says this, Job 1.21, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job was able to see God in the stables of life. How about the Apostle Paul? Even while he was in prison, writing to the church of Philippi, offering this great uplifting message and telling them to cheer up. When it came to the stables in his life, Paul was able to see God. You see, there's a difference between a mature Christian and an immature Christian. And you find it right here through these stories. See, don't miss this. You know, I, I say this once or twice in a message, and that's in case you just dozed off or something. I want you to remember this, okay? Immatures, immature Christians see God only in the good. Mature Christians see God in both the good and the bad. You see, when good things come along, the immature Christian says this. Well, it must be from God since everything's good. Everything's going along, happening just right. I know God must be in it. Not necessarily. But a mature Christian, it sees God both in the good and the bad. The mature Christ follower sees God not only in pleasures and in the palaces, but also when he's in the stables of life. See, here's my point. You might be walking into a stable right now. Have a stable period you're in right now in your life. Maybe it was a visit to the doctor that didn't turn out like you thought. Maybe you're in the stable of, you know, a tough season, loss of a loved one. Maybe one of your kids have gone foul. You know, or maybe you've been just walking down this deal of retirement or whatever, and you're getting there. You've been, you've been hoping for the star. You've been following it. And then all of a sudden, you say to yourself, is this it? Is this it? Is this how things are going to? Remember, wise people have the ability to see God in the stables of your life. You see, number two, when wise people find themselves in a stable, they offer their very best to God. You see, it's not natural for us when we're in the stables of life, that, uh, especially the ones we didn't expect, okay, to stand there and still offer our frankincense and our gold and our myrrh. A temptation is when we're in those spots of life, we try to hold back. In fact, when we find ourselves in a stable instead of the palaces of life, we're often tempted to refuse to give anything. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you know what, this marriage, you know, it's not what it should be. And all of a sudden we say things like, well, maybe, I, maybe I'm just going to hold back on my feelings. I'm just going to hold things back. I'm not going to give 100%. We begin to withdraw. Have you noticed that when we come to the stables of life, to a time when we need to give our very best, that's when we're tempted not to offer our best. I think all of us need to go through what I call the, the mirror test, all right? Every day when I get up, I look in the mirror, and I need, I need to ask myself this. I don't do this every day, 
But I need to ask myself, am I giving my very best in the situation that I find myself in? Am I? No matter what it is. You know, whether I am surrounded by problems or I'm in great prosperity, am I giving my very best in this situation right now that I find myself in? Look at when the wise men came to that humble home in Bethlehem. Come on, think about it. Did you? I mean, think about it. They didn't withhold anything. They didn't look at one another and just say, you know, we don't leave anything here. You know, we have this gold and frankincense, and, you know, we could give it to Herod. Yeah? Maybe we should give it to him, give it to his family. I mean, it's just a common family. This is just a kid lying in the backside of the Roman Empire in this house. Certainly, we don't need to give him all this expensive stuff. You see, don't miss this. The difference between the average and the above average person lies in just three words. And then some. Great men and women of God and great men and women of society give their very best and then some. They forgive people and then some. They're always walking the extra mile. They're always taking the extra step. Look at it. It's an effort. Winston Churchill said this. He's, quote, the world is being run by tired men. Look at those who make a difference are those who take the extra step. They walk the second mile. They give their very best to a situation when and even it doesn't look promising. Can I tell you, when I was 12 years old, my class went to Washington, D.C. So we got to the Washington Monument. Any of you have been to the Washington Monument? I mean, it's just remarkable, right? It was a two-hour wait to get up on the elevator to go to the top. Well, in my impatience, I walked up to the guy at the elevator, and I asked him, I go, is there any other way uh, I can get up there faster? And he looked at me and says, well, you can go up now if you're willing to take the stairs. There's 897 stairs and 50 landings. I went back, I got in line, waited for the elevator. <laughs> but can I tell you, when I look back, that was kind of a powerful moment. You can go up now if you're willing to take the stairs. You see, the average person in life, they want to ride elevators. Average people want to get by by doing the least, not the best for our Lord. And number three, when wise men find themselves in a stable, they change their direction. Have you ever had a stable moment that changed your life? When you've come upon the stables of life, have you ever sensed that God just wanted to change directions? Henry David Thoreau decided to get down in Walden's Pond one day and sink down until the water was at eye level so he could see the world through the eyes of a frog. I always thought, how stupid is that and who really cares? But can I tell you, when I read it this past week, I began to think about Christmas. And I began to think about our Lord and Savior. Do you realize that in a sense... That's exactly what God did 
The God of the universe allowed himself to be born of the Virgin Mary, look through human eyes, and grow up just like you and me. You know, in the story, it's the story of a baby born in Bethlehem who was more powerful than the Roman Empire that existed then. A baby who was God incarnate, the Savior of the world. John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to judge it, but that the world might be what? Saved through him. Look at our Father in heaven gave us the most precious gift imaginable. Ephesians 2.8, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, but it's a gift. 2 Corinthians 9.15, Thanks be to God for that indescribable gift that he's given to everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ. You know, when you look around the world and the animal kingdom and all those things, you realize human beings are the only ones that have a desire to give gifts and receive gifts, okay? Because you know why that is? It's because we're made in the image of God, okay? Because we have a God who's into giving, all right? Animals don't have a desire to give. I've never seen a dog or cat wrap a gift, walk over and go, here you go, this is for you. The only gift I ever got from my dog, I pick it up in the backyard every morning, okay? It's the only gift I get. Look it. Can I encourage you? The essence of knowing Christ is giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't come saying, I want, I want, I want. He says, I want to give. The Bible tells us over and over that he gave us the ultimate gift. You know, during the last several days, I know a lot of us have been focusing on gifts, right? I mean, you want to get the best Christmas gift, right? And, you know, the best gift does two things, doesn't it? It expresses the personality of the person that gives it to you, and it meets the need of the one that gets it. You know, not the regifting stuff that you do, okay, but the actual gifts. God has given us a gift that reflects his personality. And it's a gift that meets our needs. Listen, can I, 2,000 years ago, if we needed information or knowledge, God would have gave us a teacher. If we needed technology, he'd given us a computer technician. If we needed money, he would have given us an economist. If we needed pleasure, he would have given us an entertainer. What we needed was forgiveness. And he gave us a savior. Christmas, simply put, is this. We matter so much to God that he left his home in heaven to be born in an earthly home, to die a sacrificial death for everything we've ever done, are doing, and will do wrong. Jesus was the payment for our sins. The price has been paid. Jesus is the gift that turns uncertainty to certainty. Unfulfillment to fulfillment. 
and death to life. When you're following that star and it leads you to that stable, can I encourage you? When you're in the stable periods of life, in your mind's eye, I want you to stop and look around. He's in there. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is promised to us. And you've heard me say it over and over. A promise is only as good as the person that gives it to you. We've all given promises we've not kept, and we've certainly had promises given to us that people have not kept. Jesus keeps his promises. So when you find yourself in those cold, drafty places, when you find those places of loneliness, when you're finding your place and going, I thought I was following you, God. I thought I was following your star. I thought you were. Sometimes God takes us to the stable to show us something miraculous. Like he did on the day that he was born in human flesh. With something that looks like nothing. You know, there's an old saying, when you're down to nothing, God's up to something. Hang on to that. So in close, can I tell you, if Christmas is about anything, it's about a baby, it's about a savior, born in a stable, changed the world forever. And when we come to those stables in our life, let us be wise and try to remember. Again, look for God in there. Continue to bring him your very best and let him allow you to ch- allow you to st- change direction to where he's pointing you next, where he needs you to go, enabling each and every one of you to become the great men and women that, that, that you were made for, for your true purpose and for your true fulfillment. So as we prepare to close, I, I, I would like, I'm going to have Pastor Jeff come and close us in a prayer here right after the song, but I would love for all of us, please stand And let's just sing this song, O Holy Night, together. It's a great message, Pastor Paul. Fantastic. A gift, an indescribable gift, just unbelievable. That's what we're we're celebrating this week. That's what we're celebrating. So I want to do something a little bit different. I want to, uh, some of you may have found yourself in a stable somewhere, and like Pastor Paul was talking about, health or economically or something, and you just like, look, I don't know where this goes. You, you need prayer today. This is a great time. What is a church? It's a place where everybody comes and you get entertained and then you leave. No, that is not what a church is. A church is the one in others, right, where we pray for one another. We lift one another up. We encourage one another. Some of you just need some good old-fashioned encouragement today. And so what I'd ask uh, our prayer team, if you're part of the prayer team, just come down here. We just I have some folks come down here, Paul and Mary, Marty and Barbara, if you'd come, and anybody else on the prayer team. I don't know if Mike's still here, but... Uh, if you could just kind of make your way down here, and I'll be down here, and uh, we just want to we want to pray for you today. If you just you know today, I, I just need prayer. We want to pray for you, encourage you, pray for whatever concern need you may have. Jesus came as a gift, but you know God's not done giving gifts. He's just not. He's just eternally giving gifts. And by the way, that's what heaven's going to be like, isn't it? It's just going to be God just unpacking another extraordinary insight, another, I, I've said it before, we'll be plumbing the depths of God for all of eternity. He is, he's immutable, so he, he's, he hasn't changed, he will never change.
And so I'm going to close this in prayer, but if you need some encouragement, if you need to just make your way down after the service, come down here. We've got plenty of folks down here to pray and encourage you. And uh, maybe you want to pray for a family member. Maybe you've got family that you're not able to be with, and maybe there's some crazy dysfunctional stuff going on in your family. You just want to need some encouragement in that. Just come down here, and we'll be praying for you, okay? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for this message. We thank you for the gift of making everything right with you again, which only could be bought with Jesus. Lord, thank you. Father, I pray that this Christmas, irrespective of what circumstance we may find ourselves in, this Christmas takes on more meaning than any other Christmas we've ever experienced. Father, pull us out of the malaise of materialism and all the planning and the craziness that goes on, the distractions that get us away from just a simple recognition that you are the king of the universe. Every knee will bow before you one day. Every knee, every tongue will confess that you are both the creator of all things and then ultimately you were the lamb that made all things right. So, Father, we glorify you today. We praise you. We worship you. Lord, we want to take this whole worshipful attitude and take it in for the rest of our lives, but especially this week, Father. Allow us to come into contact with somebody maybe this week that just needs that message. Jesus, this is all about you. We worship you and thank you. Amen. Amen. Church of the Red Door, have an incredible Christmas. We'll see you back here 4 o'clock Christmas Eve. We love you so much.